It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to Ascension of the Chessmen, diving into the esoteric, occult, spiritual, and conspiratorial aspects of life, focused on solutions to the problems we face in our everyday lives. Let us ascend above all differences. Let us be the light in darkness, a breath of fresh air to those who can hardly breathe, and together, awaken into greatness. This is Ascension of the Chessmen with your host, Andre Mitty. Welcome to the Ascension of the Chessmen podcast. I am your host, Andre Mitty. Today's guest is a PhD in philosophy, cosmology, and consciousness, an author, researcher, and spiritual seeker. Ladies and gentlemen, hobbits and fairies, give a warm welcome to Johan Hamsazadeh. Thank you. Pleasure to be here, Andre. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for coming on, brother. It's really an honor to sit down and talk with you. Um, I haven't got a chance to read your book yet, but I do Mm -hmm. plan on ordering it in the very new future. Um, Mm -hmm. I look forward to diving deep uh, into your new work. Thank you so much. Um, Yeah, it's almost, it feels like 20 years worth of research. You know, I first read Terrence McKenna's book, Food of the Gods, when I was 18, 19 years old. Um, I'm 38 now, and his ideas had quite an impact. And after 20 years in academia, I just recently got my doctors. Some of his ideas I felt still stood the test of time and explained things just as the emergence of humanity, for example, and a better logic in a way than any other idea I had in evolution. So uh, I made it to focus my dissertation. So it was a five years of focused writing, um, but it felt like accumulation of 20 years of work. Wow. That's, that's amazing, brother. Um, Uh, Terrence McKenna had such a huge impact on psychedelic culture and, you know, um, just the way he spoke with such eloquence and the words he used. I mean, just listening to one of his lectures alone could make you feel like you're, you're in an experience. And, uh, Mm. uh, I I love him so much, man. And he's Mm. had such a profound impact on me as well. So I hear you me. totally. I'm, I probably listened to at least a couple hundred hours of his lectures. Yeah. And before I decided to focus my dissertation solely on him, I did a year for a comprehensive exam uh, focused on studying the main large ideas throughout Western culture. Like that was my focus for a year. And that was a project I did. And after revisiting and seeing the main development of thought, you know, I went back to Terrence McKenna. And I was like, I have to be honest, like he's one of the best, if not the best thinker I've ever come across. And aside from being a speaker, his ideas were just so beyond incredible. Normally with thinkers, I can follow the train of thoughts and see what they're going to say next. And with him, it's always something new and boundary pushing. And yet still so anchored in reality. He is an incredible scholar and wordsmith. I feel what's unfortunate is he just didn't get recognized to his, he got a lot of recognition this time, but not to the degree I think that would have been possible just because he lacked the educational credentials you know he had a a bachelor's and not a doctorate and so i think academia never took him as seriously 
but his ideas i think stand against logic and reason very well oh yeah yeah, yeah. definitely stood the test of time I've, I've always said he was so far ahead of his time and yeah. you know if he was alive now i'd love to hear his thoughts on you know where we're at and you know how things are changing and yeah i, I would love to <laughs> sit down with him for sure yeah. most definitely and um you know um to start off, man, I, I always say my, my first question for every guest is, uh, for those who aren't familiar, can you explain what it is that you do? And I guess mm-hmm. what woke you up to realizing maybe there's more to this life than you originally taught or thought? Yeah, no, great questions. Okay. The what I do has a lot of different outlets. Um, as I was kind of mentioning, my dissertation was on psilocybin mushrooms. Uh, through many facets, through psychology, their impact on evolution, anthropology, neuroscience, it's pretty much across the board, everything, every angle I can take a look at it. As the publisher states, North Atlanta Books, it's definitely the most comprehensive text there is on, on the subject. I've read everything that was published on psilocybin in terms of books, everything before 2018. Uh, that's when the work started to kind of finish more. Mm. Read 75 books just on psychedelics, just to really kind of get the biggest uh, view possible. And yeah. it comes out April 5th. It's called The Psilocybin Connection. It's or pre-order and on Amazon. Subtitles, Psychedelics, The Transformation of Consciousness and Evolution of the Planet and an Integral Approach. So aside from academic scholarly work, I spent a few years uh, training with the Mazatec tradition, uh, going down to Mexico, learning from the lineages that have been holding psilocybin wisdom back to the Mayas, like a few thousand years. And that's wow. from them. Yeah, it's from them that we even have wisdom of the psilocybin. Mm-hmm. Maria Sabina is part of that culture, yeah. gave it to Gordon Wasson, and then we, we've learned about it. I assisted for two years the psychedelic certificate training at CIS. I mentored for a year at the School of Conscious Medicine, uh, took uh, graduated Hakomi, two years somatic psychotherapy training. So that was aside from just masters and doctors. Um, so I've really given myself over not just the scholarly, but also more of a practitioner approach of learning how to hold space. And so I hold legal psilocybin ceremonies in Jamaica uh, with Ottman retreats and also facilitate integration with the San Francisco Psychedelic Society. So every way I've kind of, uh, I felt this was the best gift I could give in this life. You know, it's transforming incredibly. It felt what our culture is needing and it's worth giving the next 50 years to. And to answer your question of how this happened, I was suicidal, depressed, and atheist as a teen. It was this very hard life. My, my parents were immigrants, a uh, lot of pain and, and existential agony. Like, mm-hmm. why the f- do we exist? What's the purpose to my life? And I took a psilocybin mushrooms, going to see my favorite band Tool play. Um, this is 2002 when I was 18. And I thought it was going to be like a really good day. Maybe like, oh, this would be like the best day of the year. No. And it was like the best day of my life. And to this day, yeah. And I had this experience of being yeah. eternal, of talking to God, which I didn't even think was possible, realizing we're love and light, that there's a spiritual reality behind everything, that we're all one. Mm. And it shifted me from the inside out. In the course of two or three hours, I was a very different person and living in a very different reality. I've had hundreds of journeys, you know, three, four hundred different just psychedelic journeys myself. And to this day, there hasn't been a journey that's been that impactful because mm. that was the first time like the veil dropped and I realized right. there was so much more, you know, that happens just once. Um, and it really kind of crystallized a lot of lessons that I've been following till this day. You know, I still mm. think about that journey 
if not every day, every few days, you know, almost 20 years later. Uh, but that journey, and then a lot of other journeys, along with a lot of different reading um, and focusing on consciousness through every approach, kind of kept moving me towards this direction. Mm-hmm. And I, re- I realized several years ago, as much as I love other methods of transformation, whether it's therapy, community, relationships, meditation, none have been as effective and transformative as psychedelics. Mm. You know, I think it's synergistic to help us become better in our relationships with partners and our community can deepen meditation and they all go together. But Mm. at the end of the day, it was the state's experiences that have been the most resourceful and transformative experiences I've had. Yeah. Yeah. Well said brother. And, uh, I think, you know, having that life-changing experience that totally changes your paradigm and the way you perceive things and, you know, gratitude all of a sudden comes back in and, you know, this childlike imagination and uh, curiosity and um, the things that can spark within someone that's, you know, otherwise would not have had this experience um, Mm -hmm. can truly be transformative. And um, I, I, cannot say the same myself. I cannot say it better myself. Like I, I would completely agree in my life um, mm-hmm. as far as the effect psychedelics have had on me and, you know, kind of gave me the confidence to really get out there in the world and speak my truth and, you know, want to, want to be the change I wish to see in the world and, you know, t- start taking action um, led me to start this podcast. Um, I'm forever grateful to, you know, those, transformative experiences I've had. And, uh, I think, yeah, it's hard to look past them as if they can be accomplished in other ways, the way they can, you know, it's, yeah. it's kind yeah. of a whistling past the graveyard as McKenna yeah. would say. no, I mean, I love it. And I think I'd love to hear your story. And I think you're right. Um, some people, you know, I've talked to people that have had spontaneous spiritual awakenings, somewhat mm. times similar to psychedelics. Sometimes it's through years of meditation. Yeah. Um, but for a lot of us, it's just, we don't have that grace in the lives where one day we're just going to wake up out of nowhere. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that happens and it's, you know, one in millions of people that maybe have that experience and through meditation, there's a period I went through that I just dove in deep or I was doing an hour, then two hours and three hours a day, it's sustained focus. And finally had this gigantic state shift of like dissolving, becoming God, being in this like vibrating eternal form. Yeah. And the first thought that arose was I've experienced this on psilocybin. But this just took me hundreds of hours, you yeah. know? So, so yeah. there's a way that we can, just like we would with vitamins and food, that we can bring a compound into our body that changes our state, do mm. it consciously and have profound impact. Something else that McKenna said that uh, has always stood out is uh, the need to humble ourselves in the sense that we think we can get there alone. Mm. And the plants have evolved next to us this entire time as part of an evolutionary process to help us reach these states and transformation. You know, instead of like, oh, no, I have to get there without a substance. It's like, well, you eat food made from plants. You breathe oxygen made from plants. It's like we're sustained by the biosphere. Why not use it to help us evolve and develop also? Yeah. And um, I think, you know, a major problem um, in society and, um, you know, how the times have changed of having like this rite of passage ritual, um, you know, for men or boys, you know, turning into men. And, um, you know, it's mm-hmm. really feel like the, they're, you know, exchanging the torch and, you know, carrying this newly lit torch, you know, and, you know, just kind of 
having that versus not having that, it's a huge difference in kind of the direction the culture goes. And Mm -hmm. I think that's something we're missing. And how do you feel like um, that was such an important part um, of our history and where we went wrong once it left? Totally. No, I think that's a great thing to bring forward, you know, to share and people can see in the book where I would argue that for hundreds of thousands of years, this was a part of our culture. And we definitely can see once writing starts, you know, going back to about 300 BCE, the first writing uh, about religious scriptures were the Rig Vedas. And they talk about Soma psychedelic for like 200 times. Once we get to the Greeks, they had the Illusion Mysteries, um, this psychedelic rite of passage where they drank Kekion. Uh, might have been a derivation of what LSD is like for a thousand years, right? So we have that going on in North and Central South America. We know still to this day, a lot of entheogenic psychedelic tribes exist that have these deep rituals. So it's a big part of our entire past, regardless of your cultural background. It's, it's a part of our roots and we have lost in touch with it. And as Michael Pollan, uh, the writer notes in his book, How to Change Our Mind, that was this bestseller and brought a lot of people to the field. His analysis was that the main drawback that caused the collapse of the psychedelic movement in you know, the 60s and the 70s was because we didn't have that rights and passage and container. He says, what other point in human history had the younger generation have a searing rites of passage that the prior generation did not understand? The youth were breaking through into new states of consciousness and the older adults had no idea what was going on. And so it scared them tremendously. And so understandably out of fear and for a sense of safety, they made a broad sweep to make everything illegal. That break had never happened where the youth grew up so quickly and had something so profound where the Mm. entire adult population did not understand. Mm. That also brings us to a different point now, now that we have a few generations from that, we have more understanding, more of a container. And whether it's through the medical model or ceremonies and so on, uh, I think it's part of our task. Definitely, this generation start crafting those containers, so they are, I would say, hopefully permanently integrated into society. That's that's amazing, brother. Um, yeah, I just wanted to say, um, did you have like a, an epiphany one day, or like this, you know, amazing thought that you came across where you were like, I have to write this book, um, and like, where did that derive from? Like, where did that come from? And, um, yeah. you know, how, how, how did you get started into this work? Yeah, you know, I definitely feel like we're all born to do different things. And yeah. I felt since 15, I wanted to write a book. And it was an obsession through my 20s where very I felt like, oh, my God, I have to write this before I die. And so it was a very intense, like, I need to do this encompassing uh, feeling. But I was always in school. You know, I, I tried to start it during my master's program. I tried to write it between the summer of my master's and my doctor's. But school required so much focus, um, a lot of reading and a lot of writing. And so I finally had the opportunity when it came to write my dissertation. Mm. I had the time, the space. I would have an entire committee to help me edit the entire process. I could get myself to it. And so it's been, you know, I wasn't often, I said it felt like a 20 years worth of work. But I finally got to give several years focused on it where I cleared almost everything else and got to wake up every morning and make it my priority. So the drive had always been there. Um, And at some point I knew it was going to be about consciousness and evolution and cosmology and so on. And several years ago, I was like, what's the best idea I've ever come across? You know, that's a big thing, you know, but I'd been focusing on the study of ideas and it was this idea that we evolved. 
because mm-hmm. the relationship with psilocybin mushrooms as a species, we don't know where we came from, how we got here, you know, who we are, where we're going. And so we have this amnesia, just like if you had a personal trauma and you didn't know how things happened and it creates a freezing in your mind, we don't even know how we got here as humans. You know, it's this huge missing piece in our story. So we have a missing sense of identity. Mm. And because we didn't have the paradigm and enough evidence to look at it, it's just been this huge question mark. And this idea that we evolved because psilocybin kind of fits every mark. You know, it grows naturally in the environment. There's over 200 different species of psilocybin mushroom. It's the most common mushroom in the Africa savannas where we evolved. We know now since about 2012, starting 2016, that it stimulates neurogenesis, the growth of new neurons. The brain Mm -hmm. physically begins to grow. It creates a hyper-connected brain state. We know more about mycelium, the larger body of fungi. It interconnects the entire network of the ecosystem underneath the ground. Looks like psilocybin's about at least 65 million years old, you know, so it's been around. Um, no biotoxicity, you know, and then we know now there's archaeological evidence the area of psilocybin use going back to like 9000 BCE and cave paintings. So it's an ecological, dietary, chemical, neurological explanation, super rooted in all the science and history um, that explains our emergence. So that idea was, I felt, can change our human story. And by getting that piece, missing piece put in, it might lead us back to using psychedelics. And I think Mm. that the implications, you know, spiritual, ecological, homeostasis, but also evolutionary in the sense that it can catalyze a whole new level of creativity for our species. Yeah. And I think, yeah, just connecting us back to source and connecting us back to each other and most importantly, ourselves. So we can connect to things outside of us. And uh, yeah. Yeah. one thing uh, I wanted to bring up as well uh, was, you know, the importance of um, someone facilitating a ceremony, um, having experienced themselves, you know, um, I think with uh, like these new laws that are passing in places like Oregon, where they're going to have like psychedelic assisted therapy. And um, do, do you think um, there should be a very strong importance in, you know, having experience with this medicine before you're uh, allowed to serve it? Very much so. Highly, highly, highly believe so. And it's a, a tricky conversation, especially because of legality, because in many places, then you're asking the person to have done something illegal. Mm. Right. And so it's a weird thing where we're, it's like saying like, would you go to therapy with a therapist that's never been in therapy? So probably fucking not. Like you probably should not be in therapy with that person if they haven't done that work themselves. How could they possibly lead you? They don't know the territory. Exactly. Um, You can't just read a book and know it. And it's such a similar with psychedelics. You're pushed into such a profound state that it's so out of the bounds of anything normal, whether Mm. it's sensations, feelings, visuals, it's, it's really unbelievable. And even with about, you know, three to 400 journeys of myself, I barely know it. I mean, I've read it. with everything I've read, I barely know anything. It's, mm. it's so vast. Yeah. You know, it's like saying, like, I put my feet, my head, like a little bit into the, the water and I understand the ocean. It's so deep and it's constantly expanding. It seems to be never ending creativity. And so somebody that's never understood that I think they even lack the paradigm to understand the psychedelic experience. Mm. Um, It's almost closer to like Jung's collective unconscious. It's like we're part of one very large mind that you kind of sink into. And regular therapy would focus just on a person's biography and trauma, which is like amazing. 
and right. this can be so much bigger. You know, I've had sessions where somebody comes in for trauma and yet they're contacting extraterrestrials for like three hours. Mm. Right. So that's so outside the norm. Right. What would a therapist say to that? You know, exactly. like, other than be like, Hey, you made it all up. That's her imagination. Just discredit this entire experience. And right. so there's just things that are so profound or archetypal aside from the deep personal healing that if the person doesn't have some level of understanding, there's no way they could possibly be deeply attuned to the mm. participant. I, I completely agree, brother. And um, I, I, I also wanted to touch uh, more on, um, you know, you said you, you were an atheist before your experience. And then, yeah. you know, afterwards, you know, having this transcendent experience, seeing um, there's more to this than I thought. Uh, I, I had a similar experience, um, maybe not in the same same way, but I, I grew up in the church and, you know, was forced into Catholic school. And uh, I left that after graduating, um, kind of took my own path spiritually, got into a Pentecostal church for a while. And I had a profound uh, LSD experience that, like, I truly had that connection to God that I was looking for. And I kept seeking externally, you know, in the form of a church or a religion to like fulfill that for me. And once I realized like I could develop this connection on my own and with the help of these plant medicines, it really opened my eyes spiritually and, you know, really got me going on the spiritual path ever since. Yeah, that's huge. Thanks. Um, you know, personally, that's been the biggest revelation for me so far. Mm-hmm. was the existence i would say of i mean i say god and right. that can bring up a lot of things for a lot of people before that experience it's like i had a thousand reasons of why god doesn't exist you know i went to church for many years myself because i wanted to yeah. and with all the pain it seems seen in the world it just it didn't make sense you know so i could rationally really break down that there's no existence of, of god so the only thing, way i would have broke through was having a personal experience nobody could have convinced me otherwise mm. and the implications have touched every part of my life from trusting the universe of being more connected to love you know for feeling more safety in hell that there's a purpose to our evolution and what's going on um it's the it's it's the ultimate ground of our being Mm. You know, so it's like you're changing the largest container of yourself possible and coming into deeper communion with it. And so that that was the most healing thing that happened. There's tremendous other levels of healing, but that was the single most important one was that realization of connection of God or divinity. Yeah, I love that, brother. And uh, yeah. uh, what what do you feel the importance is of, you know, limiting um, the amount of individuals in a, in a select ceremony and, uh, you know, capping that number at a certain point and, you know, really keeping that space, a good container, um, for proper healing, you know? Yeah. With psilocybin, you are playing with like a profound medicine that can turn into fireworks or soothing water. The range of experience is so vast. So, it's, it's like highly advised that you have pretty skilled professionals that are able to have a bandwidth to really care about what's going on. And so I think it's pretty standard, but also what we've come to in Ottman Retreat with Jamaica, we have um, one facilitator for every four participants. Mm. And we have 12 people in a room taking psilocybin. And there's three of us that are skilled facilitators. On top of that, we have the organizer of the retreat 
and an assistant. So there's five of us in there. Three of us get to focus on the heart level trauma and we have somebody else to help people go to the bathroom or logistics or whatever else that needs to be done behind the scenes. And it's gone really, really, really well. Um, it's beautiful. The deepest trauma possible, whatever the person holds might come up. And it's, in my sense, it's, it's great because it can be healed, but then you need somebody there that can hold it, and help the person work through it, right? In the wrong kind of container for people that can't hold it, it could be very traumatic. And so aside from personal trauma, there's strong archetypal content from somebody realizing or thinking that they're Jesus or that there are the devil or like somebody's after me and having paranoia. Um, and I, I've seen other people have such a profound sense of power that they need but they're like glowing with it that they want to jump into the ocean or like jump run into the, the wall. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So, so there's, there's, there. <laughs> yeah, right? so I, there's a lot of uh, strong boundaries and containers that need to be held in this experience. Yeah. And so if we start bringing the participant level too high in correlation to how many people there are, that boundary and container might not be able to be held. Yeah. And yeah, uh, just realizing for me, you know, an insight I've had through um, plant medicine ceremonies is just how sacred our energy is and, you know, how we're using it. And, you know, every time we speak with someone or interact with someone, you know, like we're always exchanging energy. And when you get too many energies in one place, you know, sometimes it can be, you know, a disaster. And uh, I, I really respect, um, you know, the emphasis you put on having, you know, the right, you know, not overdoing it and finding the right um, number for that, um, where yeah. it is a safe container. Totally. Uh, my general recommendation would be one-to-one uh, work with a guide. Um, it can go a lot deeper. And if this person is somebody that you trust or has some level of skill set or experience, hopefully they can help you feel a deeper level of safety than if you were alone. And that level of trust and safety and surrender can allow you to go much deeper. And so if somebody, if your trauma does come up, they're very attuned to you. If you feel stuck and isolated or in shame, like any emotion that can arise, there's somebody that's really there and watching you that can connect with you. And so there's times where if you journeyed alone, you know, I, which I have, and there's times where you might get stuck in some kind of loop or trauma space for like five hours that might've lasted just five minutes if there was a skilled practitioner there. Mm -hmm. So it can help the process tremendously. So some of that is lost in a larger group. You know, you have to be more quiet and drawn in because you're in a big circle as opposed to yeah. you could take up a lot of space, Yeah, you know, and there's somebody there just for you. So if possible, I, I recommend the one-to-one -one dynamic. Unfortunately, that's hard to find for a lot of people and might cost yeah. a lot. So yeah. there's an awareness the greater population may never have access to that. And hopefully we get to train a lot of people or enough people around in communities that can do that. And then the other best option is group work, which yeah. is powerful in its own way can heal a deep sense of belonging. Yeah. You know, when, at the end of Jamaica, you know, what we found out even right away at the first retreat, aside from the psilocybin experience, it was the group connection that was the most healing. Mm. So people bond deeply after yeah. years, they become really close friends. They've gone through something special together. So yeah. it helps them feel reconnected to humanity. So that has its own project, but you also can't come in if you have such big trauma that you're going to disrupt the group. So mm. it's definitely, there's, there's some wins and losses with the one-to-one -one or choosing the group dynamic. Yeah. 
I, I totally relate to that. And it's like, it's almost like you went to war together and uh, you just have that camaraderie to come back with and that you go back to your life back home. And uh, you always just remember those people because you share that unique experience together. And, um, you know, we're all on our own journeys and that's, that's super important. Uh, how, how do you uh, go about uh, keeping people, you know, centered in their own space when they're trying to talk to others or, you know, be destructive in ceremony? Uh, beautiful. And that's check. So it's like a, there's a lot of prep work before the journey. You know, yeah. to make it, for example, we have, we have calls before they go in, there's applications, there's a screening process once we're there. So much of the first stage creating orientation and context and again, prep work before the journey and a lot of integration work. Um, so that gets people in a very, the right state of mind. Mm. And my preference is also once we give the medicine, we do about a 25 minute meditation. Mm. So people are dropped in, um, breathing, connected with themselves and in the right space, energetically, emotionally, cognitively somatically while the medicine's coming on so they're really kind of grounded and moving through it yeah uh, then i encourage especially with psilocybin um blindfolds over the rest mm. so you know the, the world looks fascinating to be breathing 3d it's talking to you it's amazing but it's really the deeper internal images that can be the most healing and of less guidance yeah. the same way when you dream you know your personal visions arise and here it's doing it but very intentionally and it's kind of showing you something so even though the outside looks amazing i want them to get the most out of this so i highly encourage blindfold so most people already are kind of grounded and they're internal mm. sometimes people it's hard for them to go in for whatever reason highly extroverted trauma fear and they do want to take the mask and come out and talk and so we're there to try to help them relax and surrender as much as possible so they can go in and nor it's harder normally three hours into the experience where they think it's over, they want to come out and socialize. Right. So then we have to have the boundaries again, remind some people to go in. It's only happened a very few times where we've had to take somebody out of the space. Um, yeah. And that's where it's a, a lot of inner child work comes up because that's where we hold a lot of the trauma. The whole mm -hmm. idea that there's a young part of us that's really emotionally running the show many times. And yeah. recently we had some person that she was in her seventies, but her three-year-old was up. And they mm. wanted to talk to everybody in the room. And that's, and it's hard to get a three-year-old to like show up and listen. <laughs> yeah. So as we told her several times, we took her to a different space. It just was not happening. <laughs> and yeah. she wanted to throw, you just act out. And it was huge for her because she's always repressing herself. Mm. But eventually we have to connect her with a guide and step outside for the sake of everybody else. So once in a while we have to move somebody out. But for the most part, there's enough ways to make it work within the group. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah I, lo I love that approach. And, uh, I, I also wanted to ask your thoughts on, um, you know, the music in ceremony or yeah. no music at all. Do you, how do you go about that? Do you prefer pure silence or a playlist or, you know, people there playing music? How do you go about that? I mean, I've crafted a playlist. I think the overwhelming feedback from at least 90 percent of people is the music plays such a big part um yeah. it synchronizes to your experience so it, i mean it's deeply gets embedded in the journey so a good choice of music i think where me and i think a lot of people within more of our generation have shifted is um historically from the generation before when they created a playlist they'd go through certain kind of sequences and there'd be a part called chaos music 
So it's really light and okay. And then all of a sudden, almost at the peak of the journey, they create music to bring shadow material out. So intense, disjointed, hard, yelling. And, and so part of, you know, I got trained was is in that. And I, it never felt right. It's like people already have a hard life and the journeys already can be such a struggle. I'm not here to make things harder. My personal preference in music in my personal life, not my journey work, is metal. Like I love hard music. Yeah. And yet that's not the space to bring it somebody <laughs> unless they want it, you know, but for yeah. most people, they're in a very tender, loving, soft, vulnerable, yeah, vulnerable. space. Yeah. I'm not here to come and shake them. Mm. What needs to arise always does. And so well gentler, even if it's more energetic or I like electronic, just things that are more soothing oriented. And if they have more energy, something more energetic, but I, I don't, I'm not for the philosophy of uh, let's be super confrontational, especially during the mm. journey, yeah. you know? So we, I, what needs to heal tends to almost always come out, especially if people are feeling safe, yeah. whatever needs to come up, does come up. That was, that was a beautiful way to answer that question. And um, I think you're right on point with that. Um, I, I, I would just say if, if you're having a journey on your own, I was fortunate enough to, um, work my way up to have a five grams in silent darkness of my own. And, um, you know, just making sure it's a safe space and, um, you, you do feel protected and, you know, you do feel like, you know, there's nothing that could go wrong because everything's taken care of ahead of time, you know, setting your intentions correctly, um, eating well that day or fasting, you know, just setting the stage for this experience, like really, taking upon yourself to make it, you know, a holy ritual or, you know, a sacred rite you're taking part in and not just, Oh, I'm just going to take these today. Like no planning at all, just sporadic. Like uh, I, I wouldn't recommend that. So uh, can you, can you get into uh, I guess your thoughts on five grams in silent darkness? Yeah. Yeah, totally. You know, what you just shared right now uh, brought up, you know, my, some of my own learning process. There's at least two times where I dropped five hits of LSD uh, by myself in the room. And so that's like 500 micrograms, which is, yeah, yeah. could be sometimes potentially a lot more stronger than psilocybin and lasts twice as long. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, there's a lesson I had learned a couple of times of like, especially the first hour and once the entire journey of like, dude, you didn't set the space for this. Mm. Like you did not respect the medicine. Like, you should have cleaned your room and thought this out and created the music. Like this is, yeah. you've mentioned like holy work. These are like God's chemicals and you're not a three-year-old to come into a laboratory and just start taking stuff. Yeah. And, and so then I just dealt with difficulty and shame. It's just like, you did not come into this with a light level of respect and you're not being punished. It's just like, it's just a lesson of these are super sacred. Mm. You know, and, and I learned things so like, since then I make my bed every morning. <laughs> yeah. There's just like things yeah. that came out of those experiences yeah. and they're not something to take off the cuff, you know, right. as, as amazing as it could be. Um, my experience since I, I did a lot of larger journeys alone now has shifted to, especially with higher doses, I recommend a guide or somebody else in the room. Um, I love Terrence McKenna so much. And he's the one that advocated the five grams in silent darkness. Yeah. And having heard his talks, his reasoning 
you know, if, if, if I heard it correctly, and I believe I did, it was he felt uncomfortable with somebody else in the room. So if there was somebody else in the room because of his personality structure, he'd be more focused on them yeah. um, instead of himself. And so there's some interpersonal stuff there that he could heal so he could feel comfortable with somebody else. That's nice. But for a lot of us, you can drop in a lot deeper. If it's yeah. somebody you know and you trust and it doesn't have to – it's either it could be somebody that you've known for a while or that you've developed a trusting relationship with. And so a lot of guides, uh, you know, especially like in Jamaica, we have a lot of prep work leading up. So there's already a, a good level of trust with this person. And they know your history and what you're working on. Yeah. And I've known now several people that doing these big journeys alone that have entered into trauma states mm. and the trauma has stayed in their body. And that happened to me. And I had like trauma for like two years because I got in the state where I thought I was dying, which is normal in psychedelics. Yeah. But sometimes your mind flips all the way and thinks it's real. Mm. And as much as you know, I've gone through dying and reborn experiences several times, right. and you're likely not to hit the mark every single time, right? Mm. There's times you're like, I'm dying. Okay, I'm going to die. And awesome. Yeah. And there's times where for whatever reason, you buy into it and you're like, oh, no, I'm fucking dying. And yeah. I thought my organs were shutting down and I couldn't breathe for like five, six hours. And my body thinks it's real. And all that intense trauma as if I was in a war zone for five or six hours got stuck in my body. Damn. And there was trauma around that for like two years. And so now I know this is possible. So I can no longer advocate for somebody doing high journeys well. You know, yeah. you might have a, several awesome journeys and then there's a price at some point. So, you know, as somebody that's gone into this area a lot, I do encourage working with somebody else in the room that can just easily say like, you're safe and you're okay. Yeah. And that that's enough for to move past that process. Yeah. Would you say uh, for someone that has a per personality like McKenna and, you know, does feel safe alone, um, having maybe someone like a guide in the next room to kind of check on you yeah. if, you know, you're, you're getting out of, <laughs> out of whack or something? Totally. I mean, I think that would go a lot further. Yeah. You know, in my case, that experience started at 2 a.m. and there was nobody to call. You know, and maybe I didn't have all the precautions. And the other part, though, is like, I've done this so many times alone. Why would I say anything to anybody? You know, mm. so there was definitely some a humbling experience. But if you're going to yeah. journey alone, highly recommend like a lifeline, somebody that knows you're journeying that you can call or that is in the other room. That sense of connection can be the big difference of getting stuck in fear or really healing and moving on. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, man, that that's so spot on. And um, I feel like, you know, we really lack the the guides um, to have these experiences. Like, like you said, not everyone has these uh, accessible to them. And I think we are living through this like psychedelic renaissance of, you know, we're seeing, you know, legality change in certain states. And I think you're going to start to see more of that as time presses on. And, uh, you know, people like yourself, man, I just encourage you for your uh, courage and uh, your passion you have um, for what you're doing and, you know, to be a light in this world and show others what's possible. Um, that's what I'm all about, brother. And um, it's truly an honor to uh, mm. <laughs> get to sit here and uh, share space with you. I'm honored. Likewise, you know, thank you for sharing your experiences and I'm, I'm so happy to see the way culture has turned. When I made the decision to go all in, including professionally, kind of like write my dissertation on it. Yeah. This is, 
I'm starting moving that direction, say 2012, 13, 14. And it was um, a little much scarier at the time because in the last two, three, four years, it's like, it's really taken off in culture. Mm. And at the time it was like, will I find a job? Like, I know I have to do this because it's in my soul and I need to do this. And at the time I wanted to be a professor for 12 years, I was working towards being a professor. And I'm like, I'm doing my dissertation on psychedelics. Like who in the world's going to hire me? you know, to teach at their university. Um, I know this is profound and especially in the world of philosophy and consciousness, it's and psychology, like it's the thing. Yeah. But because other people might not know that or have those experiences, I'd be written off. And so Mm -hmm. it felt super unsafe at the time. It's just like, I could have just wrote a more standard dissertation, had the security, but just with anything, I think that is true. It eventually comes to light. And as I kept moving forward, it's almost the opposite happened. I almost have to feel more job security now. Yeah. Working in psychedelics yeah. than I yeah. would have written something more traditional. So I'm I'm really glad that there's more alignment right now with what's happening inside of me and the rest of the culture. Yeah. I, you're getting in at just the perfect time. You know, getting in early is never a bad thing, they say. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I wanted to get into um, you know. How, how much emphasis you put on integration and the, the deep importance of it, you know, because you go to one of these retreats and you come back home and you might have that afterglow for a week or two, but then all your shit comes back and you're like, well, I'm, I'm the same person again, or am I like, how do you help people integrate these experiences? So they don't go back to, you know, what they were trying to escape in the first place. Yeah. No, super important. Um, you know, first speaking about my own personal disposition, like I think about my psychedelic experiences every day, like a day doesn't go by that I'm not sitting there thinking about them and integrating them. And so in my personal life, it hasn't been that big of a deal because I've always wanted to, it's just, it gives me so much to chew on mm. and I enjoy it and I love it. And because they're so profound and big, it takes up my space more than a lot of other things do. And so I'm, I'm more introverted by nature. And so c- contemplation comes naturally to me. Mm. And there's a lot of humans where maybe more extroverted, it's definitely focused on the outside and they don't take the time. And so I think scheduling integration is really important, whether it's the day after the journey, a week later, two weeks later, a month in, like schedule a few. Um, I think at minimum, two different integration sessions are needed. If it's not the next day, the week after, and then two weeks after, mm. uh, you, you go through so much gold and it's such a loss if it's not integrated. It's such a loss. Yeah. And it takes time for us to memorize things and really bringing it in and, and see the applications in our life and change our behavior. Yeah. And so the next day is awesome to bring it back into memory. But I think even just two weeks out also, how am I now? How have mm. I changed? Am I living this way? Uh, I think for me, for example, psychedelics have given me a lot of homework. Like I have journeys and it's like, go do this, this, and this. And and it's amazing. And it's really helped my life a lot. And if you're not following through, then why are you doing it? If you're not following through on the homework and you're going to go journey again later, it's going to be like, you didn't even do what I said last time. It stops for a lot of people. Like the downloads, the wisdom stop if you're not even integrating them. Mm. And so the whole point of having the psychedelic experience isn't as much as it's amazing to have this peak state. It's great, great. It's to have a good life. It's yeah. to figure out how to restructure your life. It's here to teach you how to live accordingly and live in harmony and live well. And that's the point. 
right? So a huge emphasis should be changed in coming to integrity and creating structural changes within our behavior and within ourselves. Well said, brother. Um, you know, that brings up a good point for me of, uh, do you think there is like this inherent uh, natural defense mechanism built into, you know, these, these plant medicines if people are just endlessly chasing and running back to them for their healing rather than integrating in between. And cause I feel like every time you go back to the medicine, you're checking in with where you're at from your past journey. And if it's been a rocky road since your last journey and you're so far off the path of where you started and where you planned on going, like all that stuff's going to come up. Um, do you see there's some sort of, defense mechanism there yeah yeah totally. absolutely yeah. and it's also point out that each medicine is a little different yeah. um for example mdma it's not might not kick your ass every time but there will be a serotonin drop uh mm. similar with ketamine that being said psilocybin and for me lsd also really stand out not focus on psilocybin uh, tolerance goes really quickly. Like you can't be journeying every day. Like the second day you need like double the third day quadruple and by the fourth day, it doesn't work. A lot of people know this also with LSD and Burning Man, where if you take LSD three or four times in a week, you could take 10, 10 hits and nothing happens. Mm. Uh, so our, it's kind of built in to not be addictive and to yeah. not keep working to kind of push this and miraculously to help a lot of people overcome addiction both those compounds, you know, stop compulsive patterns, uh, no biotoxicity. So it's safe. It just, it's not active. That being said, I've never heard of somebody really taking psilocybin more than twice in a month. I heard a story from another presenter that they knew somebody that took psilocybin three times in one month. And that last time psilocybin just kicked their ass. Like, what the fuck are you doing here? This is serious work. Like you're not following through, like this isn't a toy and you have, and when it kicks your ass, it feels Awful, awful for five or six yeah. you're like you're groveling you're shame you're being yeah. broken down it's it's bad it's and you really can't bad. shut it off you gotta sit there and it's you know wallow so through it. <laughs> yeah yeah hey you're, you're definitely i mean there's definitely times i'm just like i have to stay in my sleeping bag and i get out <laughs> it's a lot of pain yeah. and, and and you learn so it's one it's hella humbling you're playing with forces oh, yeah. so much larger than us um and so that compound I see people have life-changing, huge experiences, and they're like, I'm good for a long time. Yeah. Like it's, it's like eating a full good meal, and you're like, I don't want to eat right afterwards. I'm, I'm set. Even the best experiences I've had, uh, psilocybin and LSD, like I don't want to repeat them, and they've changed my life. They're just like there's a sense of completion that can come with them. Yeah. I, I think three or four journeys a year when it comes to those is good. You know, that's, that's a lot. Yeah. And, and seasonally is enough to keep your life moving forward a lot. Yeah. I, I know other people it's once a year and it does a lot for their life. And so mm-hmm. there's no need, you know, you might go through a time where you're doing once a month and that might last a year, but it doesn't last too much longer. We're like, I was ready for an acceleration and transformation and I got what I needed and I'm ready to move forward. But I think in a long-term approach three times, yeah. you know, four years, four times a year is, is a lot and really good. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. That's that's about my limit as well. I think any more than that's getting a little carried away. Yeah. And you're probably going to get humbled eventually, like you said. Totally, totally. It's a lot to hold. It's intense. Yeah. You're tired afterwards. You're worn out. Yeah. Like you said, it's not a toy. 
Like, yeah, yeah. And like you shared, it's like sometimes it feels like you're going to war. Like you come out with a camaraderie with a group. You're like, dude, I just went out <laughs> yeah. war with everything. Yeah. Not that you're against it. It's just like right. you might come out feeling beat up. Your energy's tired. Yeah. Used, you're, you've expanded so much that you're oh, like, yeah. I need a breather. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, totally agree, man. Uh, I I want while we're on the subject, I wanted to get your thoughts on microdosing and uh, mm-hmm. do you see any effectiveness um, trying it out or um, using it for things like depression or anxiety? Totally. I mean, I probably talked to seventy five people, you know, about their experiences with my microdosing, and well over ninety percent say it's very effective in their life. It's helped them so much. You know, it's, it's, it's sad sometimes to hear all the healing that people have and yet knowing this is possible for so many others and either they don't have access or they don't have awareness or because of legality, because it's, it's very effective. You know, I've seen people overcome lots of depression and becoming suicide, just simply for microdosing, becoming better with the children, um, becoming better partners, getting more focused in work, regaining confidence, feeling more patience the ten general tendency with a lot of psychedelics is to create a state of wholeness. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes that means working through a lot of stuff, yeah. but that level of wholeness changes the way you interact with the world and yourself. Um, I've seen people plenty get off of medications, you know, antidepressants because they kind of just numb you. And sometimes you need to be numb. Did you want to commit suicide tomorrow? Antidepressants for a few months make a lot of sense. You know, unfortunately, people get stuck on them for years, sometimes 20 years. And what you're doing is numbing your life. Um, Psilocybin does almost the opposite. You become more sensitive, more sensitive in thoughts and feelings and somatic. And I think evolution is a movement towards becoming more sensitive. Like if you have a sensitive apparatus that measures things, it can give you more accurate and in-depth information, you know. And so we're evolving to become more sensitive in sight, smell, taste, touch, thinking and feeling more empathy. Um, and so, and so we have to be able to hold that. We have to also be really, really strong. Mm-hmm. And so this is a general movement towards that. Uh, there's a good book called a really good day. Ayelet Waldman. And uh, she was a Berkeley professor and she talks about her one month experience in microdosing. And she had gone through five years of trying so many medications and therapies. I believe she was also bipolar. She's just having a lot of things not working and she was still in a lot of pain. She tried microdosing for a month and it changed her entire life. Wow. And so she wrote a book about that process, her research and that month. She got better in her relationships. She said it was the most productive month in her life when it came to her work and she was less judgmental. And so it's sad, like, I I hope sooner than later that this is available to the public. You know, you don't even have to have a full journey, but just a little bit in your system can go a really long way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And, you know, with, with the future of, um, you know, psychedelics becoming legal and, um, you know, I I think legal cannabis was really, um, you know, the first domino to fall as far as, you know, kind of opening the doorway for things like mushrooms to, um, come along with it down the line. Um, what are your views on cannabis and its use Mm -hmm. as a plant medicine, or even with, um, the combination of mushrooms, do you see them working together in any ways, um, Mm -hmm. benefiting each other, or I guess, what are your thoughts? Yeah. I guess what's there is like, I, I love cannabis. I think it's really good for the world. 
And that being said, I don't smoke myself. Um, yeah. I smoked for four years straight, about 17 to 21. And it played a huge role in my life and my development. It helped me with depression at the time, uh, developing my interior perspective of just having a lot more thoughts and creativity. It, it played developmentally a beautiful role in my life. And so I'm very grateful for that plant. And then I took salvia around 21. Salvia divinorum, oh. it's a very intense psychedelic. And had the experience as if I had lived my entire life, you know, died around 80 years old and looked back and I didn't accomplish my mission or what I was here to do because of marijuana. Mm. And so there was this deep existential guilt that arose in my entire system. It was like accumulation of 80 years of guilt all at once at 21. And uh, I quit that day, you know, cold turkey after like all day, every day smoking yeah. And so I kind of let it go for my life. And then in my late twenties, early thirties, I spent a year growing cannabis, you know, converted some bedrooms and everything and yeah. deepened my relationship to it. Mm. Um, psilocybin told me about a year ago that for me, I, I, I can't really prescribe this for everybody, but it definitely told me that only use it for sleep. Mm. Right. And so it's nice to know its place in my life. Um, and I, I, once a month, I take some before I go to sleep. So what I've seen with people, so many of my friends smoke, the general tendency with marijuana, it, it creates almost like a dream type relaxed state. Uh, in many ways, I think it, it feminizes humans. Uh, we smoke the female plant and the sexual reproductive part of the female plant. And I think our culture has been hyper masculine, which leads to, if it's not balanced, very destructive, overly autonomous competitive the downfall of our ecological and economic system in many ways can be attributed to that marijuana causes people to slow down become more sensitive more relational people don't fight when they smoke weed right so there's a lot of positives on it but they also kind of lose that masculine instinct we all both have masculine and feminine of getting things done and getting super focused and and going after your mission and so there's a sense where people are where if they keep smoking they're always in the dream state and they don't wake up and carry things out and they lose that inner motivation of like, I'm here to do something and I have a purpose. And so that's my fear that people can lose that drive that need it. Not everybody who needs it, but a lot of us need to give some level of gift or purpose while we're alive. I think of us that are more masculinely oriented. Um, that being said, it's great for when people need rest. Yeah. You know, if you work hard for six days, it's nice to be like very intentional. Of like this helps me relax. Let's smoke some now. Uh, so that's that's the general yeah response to your question yeah yeah Yeah. i i would agree with a lot of that brother and that was well said as well i feel like i keep saying all your all your responses are well said but um you know so on point brother and it's like a tool like anything and you know you got to be careful how you're using it because if you can't put it down most likely it's using you and it's not the other Mm -hmm. way around and uh Yeah. yeah it's always good to keep your vices in check, no matter what they are, you know, just because it's, it's, it can be medicine doesn't mean it's always being used as medicine. So, you know, just using it with intention and, um, you know, with the right purpose, you know, for the right purpose, you know, figure out what's right for you. Absolutely. Um, I, I also wanted to talk about, um, I don't know what your experiences are with ayahuasca, 
but um, I know ayahuasca is very feminine as well. Um, yeah. I've, I've had the opportunity to sit with ayahuasca a few times now and um, definitely felt that mother motherly energy. Um, I know, I know mushrooms are more masculine. Um, how would you compare and contrast uh, those two plant medicines and uh, I guess you could throw a boga in there as well, being more masculine. Um, do you see these as like the holy trinity of plant mm-hmm. medicine, or yeah, how would yeah, you? No, well, yeah, no, well, yeah, I said, um, you know, I've worked a lot with psilocybin. It's changed me. It's been my focus. I've only done two nights of Aya. Mm. Uh, that being said, I've read a few books on Aya, um, yeah. and. It's it's felt for so long. I, like I do have a really strange. Like I feel like I have a relationship with her, um, with Aya, and she shows up even when I take other psychedelics, mm. whether it's LSD, mushrooms, MK. Like I feel her. I see her. She's here, and wow. so you know. So these allies, plant medicines, teachers, beings, are so beyond the compound and the, you know, the actual plant material themselves. You know, even with like a like what I call my group with uh, SF psychedelic societies developing a relationship with, with sacred mushrooms. And so these are relationships that you're in likely mm. forever if you want to. And so they're a part of your life, whether you're on them or not, you know, I'm just still learning from them and having downloads from them and in communion with them. Um, I remember being on Aya and being like, wow, this is so real, you know, so powerful. This major being energetic spirit visually comes in the room, shooting spirit through everybody. And she taught me a lot, you know, including like rest a lot more. Mm. And uh, it's been such a focus in my last few years of like, go to her, go journey more, go journey more. Um, It's just also that my life has been so full, Mm. you know, and I'd been, as part of the focus with psilocybin, we, we've had to put away other medicines for a bit and really focus on it. Yeah. Um, Iboga, I've heard amazing things. I've yet to, to take it myself. The, the question on the Trinity, they definitely seem like the strongest ceremonial compounds, mm. you know, that have traditional uses, uh, which much love to San Pedro and peyote and mescaline. I've, I've, I've four, maybe five San Pedro ceremonies um, uses mescaline, just like uh, peyote. I haven't done peyote, but I'm reading right now uh, Michael Pollan's book, This Is Your Mind on Plants, and the last chapter is on mescaline. With much love to that compound and all it's done, I don't feel the same effect whatsoever on the level without with psilocybin or ayahuasca. You know, it, it's, it's a... It's um, a phenethylamine as opposed to a tryptamine. It's, it's, it's a different chemical family, uh, you know, so, so ayahuasca and psilocybin or tryptamines are chemically closely related. They both have DMT inside. Um, it's, it's much lighter than mescaline and it does a lot to people. It's like, it's closer to MDMA by far. I believe that's where we kind of got MDMA from. So MDMA is amazing, 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 amazing. It does a lot of healing and it doesn't touch the same depth as psilocybin. You know, they have different uses. So I, I, you want to connect relationally and open your heart. MDMA is amazing. You know, if you want to go almost beyond your personal self and have this contact with the big spiritual reality, then you're moving something more like psilocybin and ayahuasca. Like if you want to have a deep intelligence sitting there communicating with you and very viscerally. Um, and I think there's a lot of 
other chemical compounds that have a lot to offer. LSD is absolutely beautiful uh, and has a big history aside from Western culture. You know, we, I mentioned earlier the Elizunian mysteries in Greek culture. Yeah. Um, recently, I think Brian Aronofsky is the last name. He wrote this a bestseller came out a couple years ago called The Religion with No Name, yes. based on years of scholarly research and breaking down that what the Greeks used was ergot, from which LSD is uh, derived to mm. create this brukaki. So for a thousand years, the Greek culture took something that chemically resembles LSD. It's what we derive LSD from. Somebody told me that that drink pretty much what it does. Uh, LSD is that same compound. It just takes away the negative effects of eating ergot by itself. Mm-hmm. So they likely had an LSD experience for a thousand years. And yeah. we're, these are the same people like Aristotle, uh, Plato, Socrates, the people that created the foundations of our Western culture. Mm-hmm. Right. So it has a deep, deep, deep history. And I, I'm mentioning this because we didn't bring in LSD because it doesn't have a level of a, a structural ceremonial holding, right. but I also think it has a lot to offer our culture. I, I completely agree, brother. And like I said earlier, um, that's that was my breakthrough experience was through LSD. To, so for me to like throw that away as if, oh, it's not natural or that whole argument, it's like, okay. well, it definitely served a purpose in my life. So I yeah. definitely think it has value and can totally. help others. And for some people that don't know, because it keeps being put as, as a synthetic, it's derived from a fungi. Mm. Right. So it's a lot closer to psilocybin than I think a lot of us are categorizing. And if you zoom in to what ergot looks like, it looks like a whole bunch of little mushrooms. Right. Mm. So it's derived from a fungi. It's very related. Um, And they're both both of those are psilocybin and LSD, such magical compounds. Yeah. Um, I'd love to get your thoughts on, uh, you know, I'm sure you're aware of the government experimentation with psychedelics and the MK ultra stuff. And, uh, you know, what, what, what do you think, um, the implications were of that, that whole thing? And, um, how do you think we've recovered from that? Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I would like to think that we've moved forward ethically. Um, I'm not always sure, uh, because so many things happened behind the scenes, you know, that whole right. thing was like behind the scenes that the government was giving, you know, LSD to people when they didn't know to soldiers mm-hmm. and yeah. to see if like, Hey, can we use this to brainwash? And we would do it on our own soldiers. And I believe they also did it in San Francisco. They give it to, um, rock black magic. Almost. Totally. Yeah. Totally. So they give it to people coming in, looking for sex to, to customers. They would just dose them. So a lot of people got dosed without knowing, I'm sure it involved a lot of trauma because yeah. it's almost, I, it's, it's a very strong statement, but dosing somebody without them knowing I would put almost on the level of rape. Like yeah, it's, it's literally. forced upon them. You're journeying with LSD for 12 hours. They think they're going Against psychotic and crazy. Yeah. Like it, it could potentially the impacts mess up their life for decades. You know, that level of being lost with reality and not knowing what, why and what's going on. Yeah. So that that's a huge, huge, huge violation, and and we did it as the government to our own citizens, and so that that's a the level of not being ethical that our government has done repeatedly to us and to others is huge. I just finished watching this show yesterday. It's called uh, Narcos. It's on a yeah. it's a great show on Netflix, and three seasons just for the cartels of uh, cocaine cartels in Mexico, and other three seasons in. in uh, in Colombia, 
you know, and seeing how that's overtaken their entire government. These are based on true stories. But mm-hmm. then the role sometimes that our government has played in being complicit. Um, and so it, it's like our government has done a lot of shady things across the board to several countries, and they've done it just to us. And I think this is just another expression of that. Yeah. With the focus just on dominance and power almost at any cost, not just to other countries, but including to our own citizens. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I just had to pick your brain on that one because, uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I think you give uh, great, great answers to these questions. So um, I guess uh, one quick question. Um, so how about uh, stomach rot? Uh, I'm sure you're very familiar with, uh, you know, that that feeling in your stomach, like it just won't go away and it might just be feeling anxiety or anxiousness or, you know, this energy that's like creating a blockage. Um, what would be your advice on um, getting over that or avoiding it altogether or working through it, I guess? Yeah. I'm not sure if you can 100% of the time avoid it altogether. Mm. So what I've seen that's pretty good and my recommendation across the board, you know, everybody I work with is don't eat that day. Like you go and fasted, you know, Mm. so whether you're journeying, you know, in the morning or afternoon, come in empty. Uh, You're going to feel a lot more nauseous and want to throw up a lot more of there's food in there. You know, Mm. McKenna said himself, the majority of the discomfort in the stomach is because of digestion. There's other food in there. And for those that aren't aware, psychedelics, you know, the tryptamines, as I mentioned, psilocybin, you know, LSD, and I, but also other ones like MDMA, they take away your appetite. Like once, you, like once they're in, you're no longer hungry and you don't want to eat. It's like, you're fine. So yeah. don't come in worried that you're going to be hungry. Once the medicine kicks in, you're fine. Um, I could barely even eat afterwards. You know, it's yeah. okay to have a, a meal in the, in the evening, but come in empty. You're going to be really glad you did. Some people are more sensitive to others. Mm. Um, I feel when nausea, one out of every five people feel nauseous, maybe one out of every seven, nine people have to take to go throw up, but they don't. And mm. maybe one out of every 15 people do throw up. So, I Be mean, it, it's, it's in the, yeah, 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 yeah. And it's, and if they do, it's still one in 15. So it's, it's, it's like, right. it's normal, but don't go in expecting that you're going to be the one that throws up. Yeah. Um, as opposed to with Aya, you know, it's almost like a, each person normally gets a bucket, yeah. you know, with psilocybin, yeah. it's not as intense. I didn't throw up with Aya, but I think I, was the only, yeah. I think I was the only one in the room that didn't. So I'm, it's, 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 but it's weird I was to go jealous in. of the people that were. <laughs> yeah, like I heard you're supposed to, like everybody right. gets their own bucket. Like, right. I'm, I'm like, what am I doing up. wrong? Yeah. So empty stomach. I just did a training. It's called Cheat Net Sung. It's a Taoist mm. abdominal massage training uh, to massage the organs in that whole area. Um, it's amazing how much we hold in that part of our body. You know, just a, we have tension in our shoulders and parts of us freeze and our hearts close. And there's not training somatic psychotherapy. So there's like somatic responses to the tensions and fears we have of bracing that also moves into our organs right? And our abdomen. And it's just such a mystery spot. Um, We hold a lot of fear and anger there. And so another response, yeah, yeah, is having somebody massage your belly. Mm. You know, what's what's hard is like, it's, there's a preference if somebody's trained in that, but they're like, they're not going to, but to have somebody put their hands there and soothe you and feel okay. Like they would if your shoulder hurt or something and lightly massage your belly 
probably helped quite a bit. Yeah. yeah. Well said. Um, I guess, have you, have you heard of the lemon tech method? Um, mm. I, I I've tried that as well. I have had some success, but there's been other times. I don't know if I didn't do it right. I still had the stomach rot. So I've um, heard that's one way, but I wasn't sure if you've had experience. Yeah, with that. totally. Um, I mean, I've heard of it a lot. I think I've tried it once or twice. And a lot of times it's put forward that it amplifies, you know, the experience of psilocybin mm -hmm. and the idea being that like, well, you don't have to take as much mushrooms and for me, end of the day, mushrooms don't cost that much, right. you know? <laughs> so like, if you need to take another gram or two, it's fine. You know, like I don't need to put something in there to try to make the psilocybin stronger. Right. You could just take some more psilocybin. So that hasn't been that part of it, the big deal. So what my preference for people is, is to blend it. So mm -hmm. water, sometimes if you want a little bit honey and just blend the psilocybin. Um, it's almost, it creates it most a little bit more like it's pre-digested and easier to break down. Yeah. So the majority of the time that is the vast preference I have for people that makes to take sense. it blended. Yeah. Um, and I, I just want uh, you to give the best advice you can on just kind of your uh, initiation process and um, you know, the process of preparing for ceremony and for someone that's getting ready to embark on this new journey you know, especially for someone that's never experienced, um, you know, these realms or these states of consciousness. Yeah. It comes to me. It's a, it, it will be a different journey and process for somebody that's never done it as opposed to somebody that has, you know, if you, you right. have before you've done this quite a bit, you come in with a different level of trust that you can open up and take whatever, and you know, it's good for you. And you're coming with healing. Like so much of the process of taking psychedelics is deepening into more and more trust mm. with yourself, with the medicine, with the cosmos. <clears throat> and so there's a certain level of anxiety people are going to have have never done it before. That's just a lot more intense. Um, I come in with anxiety still almost every time, right? After 20 years. And so that's what I say to a lot of people. Like, what you're feeling is normal. 90% of us are going to come in anxious. It's a very small percentage of people that aren't anxious to take psychedelics, especially larger doses. Yeah. And so that's okay. And normally that anxiety washes away once the medicine gets started. Mm. Um, the metaphor I use a lot with these medicines is uh, of an airplane taking off. So as an airplane taking off for the first like 20 minutes or so, there's some turbulence as it's going up. Yeah. Right. And so for me, the onset for me is like uncomfortable or butterflies candy. are setting in. <laughs> totally. Oh, why yeah. did I do this? I'm going to be yeah. here. Why is it all shaking? Is it going to be like this the entire time? And so yeah. there's this transition period as your body's mm -hmm. adjusting, moving into the new state of consciousness. And just like a plane, as it's going up, it's shaking some bit. But once it reaches altitude at its height, it coasts. Yeah. You know, so I, I the more context people have for what they're going through the easier they can relax you know so much mm -hmm. of the fear is i don't know what's happening right so the more i can help their yeah the rational mind gets to calm down to get to just be at more at ease so i, I tell them you know the structure it's normal everything is fine because of course they've never done it like is this normal am i okay no you're completely okay these are safe compounds people have done this millions of times like you're, you're fine mm. um the vast majority of people, 70, 80% that I've worked with come in because they're in pain. Mm. They've been depressed for many years have a lot of anxiety. They've tried medication and therapy for many years, sometimes 20 years. And so they come in for a very specific reason. 
you know, that's, that's the willing to travel and pay the money and all that. They're like, I want, I need to get healed. And so we do a lot of focus on their trauma and bringing clarity and bringing it to the surface. And so they're coming in with a very acute um, intention, mm. you know, so they're not here just to have a psychedelic experience. There's like 10-ish percent of people that come in just for the curiosity. And it's amazing. It's great, you know, and everybody yeah. comes in curious, but a lot of people's like, I really need a shift change in, in my life. Mm. And so with them, it, there's a little bit more focus yeah. on the attention and having it really grounded and a lot with safety and so on. I think journaling beforehand, um, most of the people that do this, the majority get what they're wanting, you know, yeah. 70, 90% of the time, like they come in with a checklist. I want these three things and they happen. Mm. So that's, it's, it's a beautiful, um, my approach. And I'm not saying it's should be everybody's has been for a long time, just to come in very open as if like, I'm kind of giving myself up to God. Like, mm. you know, more than I do, like, what do I need to know? Instead of me coming in for something very specific, yeah, which sometimes is okay, <laughs> right? Totally, totally. Yeah. You know, and coming in to try to find, it's like, if that's what I need, you'll tell me. You right. might bring in things that I had no idea about <laughs> yeah. that I need. Yeah. And so my idea is just to come in kind of sterner and just offer myself than coming in looking for something very specific. Unless I need to, you know, but for the most time, it, that's just my approach. Mm. Um but that's different if somebody's in acute pain because of course they're coming in for something very specific. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I would also have to ask on like um, how, how important do you feel um, like the information you're consuming, the videos you're watching, the music you're listening to, mm. like leading into ceremony um, uh, affect your experience. And then along with that, um, do you have any suggested uh, dieta they follow before, like no sex or uh, staying away from certain foods, um, you know, stimuli, yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. We're all affected by things differently, whether it's the media information, whether it's music, reading movies, foods, like we all have different reactions to them. Yeah. So if you're somebody that's super affected by say something, the news or violence or whatever, don't do that right don't come in clean you know my nervous system for better words it could just take a lot uh whether it's graphics uh or reading information i just feel not as affected as another so i i'm mm. i'm i've been fine but a general recommendation is like the focus is to hold this as something sacred and come in clean and be very respectful yeah so the state you come in i think matters a lot more and mm. people design dietas and, and movement towards us to create a certain kind of state of reverence and hey this is super serious so that i think that's the primary part of it <laughs> diet i first went vegetarian i think 2024 20, um day before my 25th birthday and mushrooms played a big role mm. and then mushrooms specifically told me to go vegan 2011 my first burning man Wow. And for like two hours, you're like, go vegan. And I was like, what, why? And we had like this two hour conversation and every reason I came up not to, it gave me a really good response and mm. came home, did a lot of research. And I was like, yeah, like, this is what I have to do. So that's been 10 years now. So it's, 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 it's given me dietary advice many times. So, wow. <laughs> so often it's just like, be more uh, healthy, go work out, meditate. Yeah. Like these are foundational everyday things. So, yeah. And so I recommend a plant-based diet. You know, it's what I learned from it. And the idea is that it does open, 
if you come in with the right intention, open your heart a lot. It's like three times a day I'm doing this out of love, uh, mm-hmm. acknowledging our interconnectivity with everything. I'm not wanting to cause pain or violence. This becomes this ritual every time you eat. And so it's developed me tremendously. Mm-hmm. Um, so I recommend a plant-based diet because I think it's just more in alignment. Yeah. Uh, moving into it, and I've had a lot of clients become vegetarian or vegan afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, but that conversation can bring up a lot for people because there is such a – addiction to me i I eat meat every meal my whole life and i still eat such a staple of our culture here yeah 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 yeah. and i eat now like uh you know vegan meats you know but it's just like there's a very carnivorous drive and something very hard to give up but i found it tremendously rewarding to to let go of um things with other substances you know marijuana alcohol or even sex the traditional prescriptions have been don't do them Mm. right before right. and after and and my personal response is i'm here to empower you to be an adult and not tell you what to do mm. be healthy do like the right that. things not just yeah not just before after journey always <laughs> it has to be this way yeah yeah and yeah, i i, I don't like saying. that yeah i've never liked those prescriptions or the confinements whether yeah. it be like don't have sex with your partner or don't have a drink it's like take this seriously don't come in hungover Right. Mm-hmm. Don't, you know, I, I had a specific journey with that. It just, the mushrooms put me through a ringer. ringer. I was with the guy, it's five grams. It's a lot. Yeah. And it really wore me out and put me through it. And it's kind of like this kind of growth hormone that like, you're going to grow a lot right now, you know, really make the use of this time. And at the end of it, I asked the mushrooms, I was like, dude, can I go home and have a drink? Like, this is a lot. Mm-hmm. And they're like, sure. Have one on us too. Like, go ahead and have a couple. Like we just wore you the fuck out. Go yeah. fucking have a drink. Yeah. And so I personally, and it depends your relationship with alcohol or other substances. Um, I've, I've asked several times the mushrooms and it's like, all these things are okay, mm. but I think it is moderation and your intention. Yeah. You know, if you're addicted to the point where it's all day, every day, it's probably going to tell you to stop mm. at the same time. If you're using it in the right moment and it's helpful for your life, are don't just not do it because somebody else told you not to, or because they told you it's wrong. Yeah. You know, you, so, you have a heart inside and you have a mind to make their so, best decision. So true, brother. Um, you know, you brought up Burning Man there. Um, I'm yet to go. Heard millions of stories about, you know, how great it is. Um, yeah. So while we're on that, um, I figured, you know, we might as well bring up um, the festival scene. And yeah. um, do you do you feel uh, that is a possible container that can be used uh, to use these things or it's yeah. up to the individual? It's, it's, it could be so fucking beautiful. It's so huge. And it's, I've gotten end of the day with all my journeys and my guided journeys and the ceremonies, the deeper experiences have synchronistically happened in recreational settings Yeah, and it's grace. It's not like I chose that and wanted that, but that's just been once in a while, maybe because there is more lightness and freedom and okayness. I have, I have a personality yeah. that gears towards being really serious, right? So yeah. being in an environment where everybody's playing actually is, is good for my system. Mm. Um, I remember the moments, it was at a specific festival, lightning in the bottle, you know, taking some medicine and went on top of a big hill and I was looking at the entire festival and I was like, what an incredible environment for learning and growth. Like here yeah. we are in this yeah. huge playground. There's workshops here. There's lectures. There's dancing. There's people playing. Like we're becoming better humans. The medicines mm. are helping us. It's like 
I remember that week and being like, I learned more here than I do in my classroom. Like I'm in the mm-hmm. doctor program and I'm learning more here. Yeah. And so those containers are fucking manageable. Like there's the therapy yeah. container. Then there's the container of like, how do I coexist with other humans and like yeah. have that in practice while I'm having the medicine? And how do I learn to experience joy? Like dancing, that could be just as healing as a doing going and doing all the trauma work. Yeah. You know, moving into pleasures could be just as healing as moving into the pain. Yeah. And so it's just like, it, it's, it's a great structure. Um, I volunteer like at the Zendo with the psychedelic harm reduction centers, you know, at the burn. And so Beautiful. a lot of these places have places where if people are having hard times, they get to go, mm. you know, and I think we need other stations like drug tests that can be public, that people can test their substances. And a lot of places don't yeah. have that because that's admitting that there's, there's drugs here. Mm. And that we're okay with it. So there's a lot of things that get to shift to right. really make it safe, safe, but they are amazing places to experiment and learn and grow. So important on, you know, the safe testing and, um, you know, those harm reduction tents. Um, you know, I, I, uh, usually go up to Shangri-La in Minnesota, which is a beautiful festival and, you know, just the space there, it is magical, like you said, and just the fact they have, you know, a harm reduction tent is such a beautiful thing. And, you know, they have gong tents and meditation tents and, you know, everything you could really ask for in that, yeah. state, in that state of consciousness. So totally. um, I definitely think they can be containers with the right intentions. And Absolutely. Know, a place yeah. to feel home in your own skin. Yeah, I remember that same LIB at, at the academy for the first time. Took a, a good wow. amount and went to like a gong temple. Oh, people wow. are sitting there in the con- we're laying down. <laughs> yeah. And next thing you know, I'm dissolving and I'm seeing myself as a puzzle piece, but a part of this large puzzle piece of everybody else and how we fit together and yeah. had a deep sense of like having being a part of the structure of reality and having my place. You know, then that question though, like what is my puzzle piece supposed to do? But there was this mm. deep image and energetic connection that happened in that space and part of it was being around everybody in the group and the freedom and the, the gong and everything helped create that experience yeah they they truly are magical places and you know a beautiful place to you know have an experience uh with the right people and in the right setting of course and uh, you know taking prior precautions of course you know coming totally. with respect um, you know, this has been such a great conversation. I'm so grateful to have you on the show, man. Um, I'd say the last question here for you. Um, do you have any daily spiritual practices that you kind of help or use to keep help you grounded throughout these times? The first always like the go-to is meditation, like mushrooms had told me over 10 years ago, like at least 20 minutes a day. You know, um, and, and I've had periods where it's gone like five years and I've never broken that. And there's other times where you're in a slump and you, you're not into it daily. Right. Um, but definitely like journey day for sure. Like you, it creates the right mind. Yeah. And, and the most present one for me that is, I think would be huge for everybody that isn't discussed enough is working out. Yeah. You know, there's things that working out does, whether it's running or weightlifting or even better, a combination that affects your system in a way that nothing else will. There's a period I've gone through lots of episodes of depression where I was sitting there meditating just every day, thinking that I was going to say before my depression, I was just feeling more and more into the depression. Mm. And I went and then worked out, got to a gym, worked out for three days and immediately felt better. 
it's like we're made to move, you know, yeah. in other words, emotions, energy, emotion. If, if an animal is just sitting there, it looks depressed. It's made to move. Like our system is made to move. And mm. because of the work we do, you know, sitting here in front of a screen or whatever, we need mm. to intentionally go find that time. And so now I wake up, I'm doing it an hour and a half right now, weightlifting and running, and yeah. it affects my entire day. And yeah. so often when I take medicines, uh, mushrooms or an L, the message that comes through almost an hour each time is go work out. Like I would mm. do better with two hours a day, but an hour is amazing. Like yeah. it, it affects every part of you. And it comes in a lot of my client works. There's no substitutes, increases confidence, vitality, strength, power. Yeah. A lot of the things we're needing, you know, cognitive performance, all everything across the board, the you know, warrior mentality. So it's sense of accomplishment. Yeah. Every endorphins are going like it, it's, it's, it's super important. Yeah. Um, so that's been as strange as it sounds like my main practice right now. That's huge, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And even just getting in outside and going for a walk in nature, like you'd be amazing yeah. what it could do for you when you're feeling totally. down. Totally. Huge. Like we need, we need to move and consciously, you know, yeah. and on purposely, but yeah, it, we need to move this energy in our body. Otherwise, if it gets stuck and repressed, we get sad or angry. Mm, so yeah. true, brother. Yeah. Um, well, once again, brother, thank you so much, uh, Jahan for coming on. And, yeah, uh, dude. uh, I just want to give you an opportunity here at the end to, you know, um, cover your book more, tell the listeners where they can mm. find you. What do you got yeah. coming up in the future? Thank you so much. Yeah. The book's called the psilocybin connection. It's a psychedelics, the transformation of consciousness, evolution of life, but on the planet's integral approach. It's on Amazon right now, Barnes and Nobles, Google play. Um, it'll be shipped out April 5th. Uh, the pre-orders are being taken. My website's psychedelicevolution.org. You can see a lot of just other videos, uh, references to lots of stuff going on. The book itself, it, again, it's um, for me, it was quite a feat, but in general, I, I think it was. I had over 800 footnotes, now it's brought down to 700, um, 400 different unique references, and it was broken down to three main sections uh, present, past, and future. But yeah. I cover in many ways, all the current scientific studies, what psilocybin experience is like, looking at it from a specific philosophical lens that includes evolution and consciousness and the ecological kind of evolutionary explanations of it. Then I dive into the deep past for a couple of chapters of how it would have impacted our ancestors and bring a lot of you know different uh, perspectives from archaeology, neuroscience, anthropology of what our ancestors did and their the effect psilocybin would have had on because i think that's a game changer it changes our human story yeah. then i spend a couple of chapters just jumping into the future like how is it affecting us now in our culture when it comes to art uh therapy um science and philosophy and even economics and because this is happening now what can we say might happen later you know if this is integrated to culture and then the last chapter is more focused fully on the future of can we bring ideas from the collective unconscious, uh, deeper visions of the future so that we can lead the way, you know, in terms of humanity, we have this idea of leadership and even of progress, but if we don't have a vision, we don't even know where we're supposed to go. Mm -hmm. Like progress towards what? And psilocybin can give this and all of the psychedelics, this amazing visions of what's possible. Yeah. So we can have more concrete sense of direction. And so I end the chapter you know, with that of like, this is a, 
evolutionary a good way for our species to move forward. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Uh, well, thank you so much, brother. Uh, I want to thank yeah. you all for listening out there. Yeah. Uh, send you all love and uh, hope you have a great week. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Great to spend time with you, man. Most yeah. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.